Morning, everybody. Morning, Lancaster. Why don't you all take a seat? That would be great. Oh, I was watching the little video from Chile, and um, I was there with Pastor Dave last time, and um, such a wonderful place. If you do ever get a chance to go on a mission trip, do go. Do go. It's a, it's a scary experience. I was talking to um, I'm Amanda Wingfield on Tuesday. And she was so scared about going on the plane and everything was going to happen. She was, and we were teasing people, like, you know, when you go on a plane. And uh, we were kind of talking to some of the younger ones, right, who think it's funny. And I was, I was saying, look, if by any chance you die on the trip, make sure you die well as a valley person. And poor Amanda was sat in the corner going, that's not funny at all, Ed. Stop it. And, um, but I texted her, I think it was, was it Friday or Saturday. Anyway. On, on a birthday, fr- Friday, yesterday, yesterday was a birthday, and uh, she replied back, having an amazing time, and uh, although it's not cheap, and can be a bit scary and daunting, honestly, you'll have the best of times, you'll encounter God in new and fresh ways, you'll have your heart changed, there's something amazing by going to do those things, and Pastor Dave's speaking twice today, in an hour or so, so do be praying for him. Not that Pastor Dave minds. He loves speaking. He really does. So I'm looking forward to it. But do pray for Alex. Alex has to translate. So bless her. Her Spanish was a bit rusty. So do be praying for her. And um, yeah, that'd be great. And if you are either here or at Lancaster because of Bonfire Night, we have a great time last night. And welcome. Thank you for coming back this morning. Well, we are starting a brand new series called The Truth Will Set You Free. The Truth Will Set You Free. And um, this is going to be a, a series really looking at some of the modern day issues that the world um, has kind of moved from its cultural heretics, we might say, from 50 or 100 years ago. We're going to have a look at different sorts of issues. But the question is, why would we do a series like this that's controversial? Um, people have different opinions on it. Um, well, the reason is it's important. It's really important because the world is giving a message to us, to the generations coming up. And if they only hear one point of view, then it's really hard for them to think from a different point of view. You know, we're supposed to love our neighbor, be godly, as it were, quiet people. That's true. But if that's all we are, we're actually letting uh, our up-and-coming generation down, letting the world down because they're getting taught by, let's call them misguided people, maybe people with good intentions, maybe actually evil people are teaching them things that aren't true and aren't godly. And even though we don't want to be aggressive, actually the world is aggressively teaching our youngsters, at least through school certain cultural values that we believe are damaging to them. You see, God does know best. God created the world. God made everything work. God knows how things should work, both for his glory and for community, as well as the individual. And actually, when people live godly lives, their lives work. Their lives work. And um, even though the world might say differently, Trust me, eventually, if the science is done properly, the social science is done properly, they will, in the end, figure out. They might not like it, but actually God's view 
does work, does work best for communities, for families, and for individuals. And actually, we do the, the world a disservice by not speaking about these things. Can I just say, if over the next few weeks you, we hit something that you're upset about, that you don't take a hoff, you actually come and talk with us, come and grab a pastor, one of the service leaders, Christian who you trust, he can then take you to a pastor, come and talk, help us kind of show you because obviously we only have half an hour or so in each message but there's no way we can you know cover everything every topic every subject every nuance of things there'll be a lot of kind of as it were principles and broad things that we'll talk about from scripture please do come and talk with us like i say don't take a huff actually come and chat with us that would be that would be amazing so i'll pray and then i will begin at the beginning, so to speak. Father, we thank you that you are here. Father, I thank you. We've been celebrating already for Jesus dying on the cross for us. Father, we have sinned. We've fallen short of your expectations, our own expectations, other expectations. Father, we've hurt people. We've hurt you. We've rebelled against you. And Father, we thank you for that cross where you took our sin, our punishment, and our shame, our guilt. So, Father, that we can walk in freedom before you and before each other. We can have peace and joy restored in our souls and a hope for the future. So we thank you so much, dear Cross. Father, I pray this morning that each of us may open ourselves up to you, that you may speak to us. And Father, as any who don't know you, we pray. Father, may this be the day they discover you for the first time, for the first time in a long time. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, let's start at the beginning. The beginning is, you know, where do we get our opinions and our views from? Who says what? You see, who says is a very, very important question because who we listen to, who we absorb our kind of morals uh, is important. Um, when people make claims and judgments about what is right and wrong, the question about who says that is so important. And it's amazing how even as parents, we sometimes say to our children, so who said that? Where did that opinion come from? And you see, Really, the question is, is where does each one of us take our opinion or our authority from? Because, see, every single individual, whether they think about it or not, is taking their opinion on moral values, what's good and evil, what's the right way of doing things, from somewhere. It doesn't just kind of magically appear. It's coming from somewhere. I.e., they are basing their life on some kind of authority, some kind of authority. They're taking some kind of authority to make their judgments. And the question is, Whose authority are you believing in? And really, as Christians, we have every right to ask anybody, well, who said that? Why do you believe it? Because that's a good, honest question. And uh, hopefully we're open-minded enough to listen carefully and engage with where they get their, their um, uh, opinions from. As Christians, God is our authority. And the thing is, we don't just think that God's authority is for us. Because we believe he made the world, he created everything. We believe that God's authority extends beyond, as it were, the church into everything. The Bible teaches us that the earth is the Lord's and everything in it. Psalm 24, verse 1. In Ephesians 1, verse 22, Paul writes that everything is under his dominion. He has power. He has authority over everything that he made. Hebrews 1, 3 says the only reason we're breathing because he chooses to sustain everything by his powerful 
word. Romans 14 verse 11, among other verses, say it doesn't matter whether people want to believe it or not. It is true. God is king. He is the creator. And one day, every knee will bow. So we're going to begin the series by looking at the Bible, the ultimate authority of Christians, whether we're talking about gender identity or sexuality or the sanctuary of life and the other subjects we're going to have a look at. We're going to, we're going to be, always base it on the Bible. So we wanted to begin the series by saying, you know, why and how can we trust the Bible? Why is the Bible our source of authority that God has given us? Either by, because the Bible is God's special revelation that we should cherish. Psalm 19 verse 7. I want to thank the tech guys. They're, their fingers are busy at the moment behind me. I didn't want to keep reading them all out, but I wanted to give you a really good biblical base for my message. So Psalm 19, I'm actually going to read this out. Verses 7 to 11 says this, the law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The statutes of the law are trustworthy, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, giving joy to the heart. The commands of the Lord are radiant, giving light to the eyes. The fear of the Lord is pure, enduring forever. The audience, the ordinances of the Lord are sure and altogether righteous. They, all these things, they are more precious than gold, than much pure gold. They are sweeter than honey, than honey from the comb. By them is your servant warned. In keeping them, there is great reward. King David depends this psalm goes, look, I know that God, you know what you're on about. You know what you're talking about. You put it down in the Bible, in your word, and it's so important for us to follow in Jesus' name. So my first question is this. Where do people actually go for their source of authority? And uh, we're talking about it and thinking about it, and I've got some kind of big words for you in a second. But if I'm really honest, as I've been thinking about it, I suspect most people don't think about it at all. So their source of authority is, as it were, absorbed from their culture, really without challenge. It's just kind of, everybody thinks it, I want to fit in, I'm going to absorb it. Absorb, really without thinking about it, the consequences of it, whether it's good or bad, whether it's right or wrong, whether it's going to hurt people now or in the future, whether it's going to damage the community now or in the future, how it's going to affect the country. It's kind of absorbed. I was actually talking to somebody recently about these kind of things and saying, you know, what this generation so passionately thinks is true and right and honorable, we can guarantee in 50 or 100 years' time, somebody will stand up and everybody will believe him that some of the things we believe today is utter rubbish and why in the heck did this generation ever believe those things? Because that's history. That's our history. Some of the things we believe today... We then ridicule previous generations, and uh, it's going to happen again. And it's because people don't think about. So I want to suggest that the first things we should do as Christians is actually think about why we believe what we believe. Let's not just absorb stuff from society without thinking it through. Uh, it applies to everybody, whether or not you're saved, whether you know Jesus or not. I would encourage you to think through why you believe what you believe, whether it be morally or how you live life. Some people, maybe you've thought about it, they, um, 
they believe that self is a standard. I'm going to decide what is right because basically I'm the center of the universe. And things, classic statement, things can be true for you or true for me and not for you. And, and it's called relativism, postmodernism way of thinking. Now, if you think about it, it's kind of unworkable, right? Because what you think about something and what you do, or a group of people do, actually will impact me. I, what you think does matter. Just because it's true for you doesn't mean I can, because it, it impacts. And this idea that each individual can make their own mind up about everything, and that's okay, and it's all true, is actually false by definition. Because people disagree on basic things. And you can list them in your head, and I won't list them now, because they get too controversial in the first one. And, um, but you know, if somebody thinks this and somebody thinks something else, by definition, one of them is wrong, right? So tr when truth clashes, one person is right and one person is wrong. We know that, you know. Somebody can say, I don't believe in, gra in, in gravity. Nice, safe example. For example, I don't believe in gravity, but gravity is true. It always wins. So you can believe what you want to believe. Gravity is true, right? So your truth is just wrong in that case. Some people talk about, well, I believe in science. I believe in science. I follow science. But science is only good for certain things the things that can be scientifically proven, or not proven, as the case may be. But for a, an authority on everything, it falls short. It just falls short. Others talk about, well, my kind of theory, my, I get my view, really from an ongoing positive evolution of mankind. You know? This idea that mankind will get better and evolution will help us get better as things go on. I.e., this idea that every step that man takes forward is a step into a better and brighter future. And most of you think about, really? Some people actually believe that? Yes, they do. And they, they always think that mankind's making progress. You know, you hear this word, pro we're making progress. We've made this decision and it's progress. And um, some of us go like, it doesn't sound like progress to me. But there's this idea that we will get better and better. But it's full of dangers. Probably the biggest and horriblest one of all this was in Nazi Germany. They believed, they believed that to make progress with their race, they had to kill everybody that wasn't them. All the Jews, gypsies, all sorts of people got cut. Why? Because this was the evolutionary progress survival of the fittest. And so you go, well, that's not, that's not good. We don't want to, that's not saying. Which leaves us, I want to suggest, our source of truth should be God. Because ultimately, as God, he has objective moral values and duties, because he's a holy, righteous, loving God. You see, with us, things might seem right or wrong, but with God, things are right or wrong, and he's wise enough and he's intelligent enough to actually know why they are right or wrong. In John 6, verse 68, we read, well, the verse before, um, something's happening. Jesus said to his disciples, do you want to leave? And they go, no, 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 no. Who would we go to? You are the source. You are the one that can explain life to us. 
And so we go to Jesus, we go to God to figure things out. So second question I want to look at is this. What does it mean that God is our highest authority? What does it mean that God is our highest authority? It means that we believe in objective standards of truth and goodness, objective standards of truth and goodness, and that God is that standard. And this is primarily revealed to us in the Bible and is demonstrated or shown in creation. We, which, which means for us that we go to the Bible first in all areas of life. And I want to emphasize the all areas of life. There's no area of life which the Bible doesn't speak into to help us live it well according to God's plan. Psalm 1 verse 1 said this, Blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked or stand in the way of sinners or sit in the seat of mockers. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And on his law, he meditates day and night. He considers it for everything that he's doing. He's like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in seasons and whose leaf does not wither. Wherever he goes, he prospers. So we apply it to every area of life, whether we're walking or sitting or sleeping, relaxing. It applies to every single area of life. And through it, we believe, becomes blessing, becomes a prospering event. Why? Because God knows best. God actually knows how we tick, how communities should tick. And we understand that it removes regret in our life. It removes situations happening that damage us or other people that can't be resolved because they're just, they've happened now, they've done, something's happened, mimed, uh, maimed or whatever. And so we can't do it. So we, we look at God's instruction first in everything. The secondly means that we, we know our Bibles or are seeking to know our Bibles better. And we do it, one, to know God, but we also do it, as it were, slightly selfishly because it helps us live our lives better. And both those reasons are really good reasons for studying the Bible, right? One is to know God better, but secondly, to know how to live our lives that we may enter more into his place place. But it also means that we not just know our Bibles, but we work on knowing how to apply it. Lots of Christians can, well, the Pharisees were a great example in the, in the New Testament, right? They knew their scriptures, but they didn't know how to apply them properly. And so as Christians, we not just understand or know our Bibles, but we work on how to apply it into our lives. And the question that we have when we disagree with something in scripture is not, how can I get round it? How close can I get to it without breaking it? Is there any way I can ignore it? We don't ask those questions. We ask the question, how do I need to change my thinking, my practice to submit to this? Knowing through that, I will honor God and enter into his blessing in my life. Third question I want to have a look at is this. Can we trust the Bible? The authority question. Can we trust the Bible? Is it without fault? Is it reliable? Is it without error? Is it, as the theologians put it, is it infallible and inerrant? If you want to put big words down, infallible and inerrant. If you don't, is it without fault? Is it without error? Well, how do I unpack this for you? Um, there's a, there was a group of over 200 evangelical leaders met in Chicago in 1978. 
and they put something together called the Chicago Statement, which you can read online. And they tried to answer, well, what do we believe through what the Bible teaches, right? So these, and, and what does, what do we believe about the Bible? So I'm going to read a few lines from their statement to try and, as it were, explain clearly, more clearly than I could, about what we believe about the Bible, about what we trust in it. So this is this. God, who is himself truth, speaks truth only. He has inspired holy scriptures in order thereby to reveal himself to lost mankind through Jesus Christ as creator and Lord, redeemer and judge. Holy scriptures is God's witness to himself. Holy scripture being God's own word written by men, prepared and superintended by his spirit, i.e. the spirit wrote it through man, is of infallible divine authority in all matters upon which it touches. It is to be believed as God's instruction in all that it affirms, obeyed as God commands in all that it requires, embraced as God's pledge in all that it promises. The Holy Spirit, uh, sorry, the Holy Spirit, Scripture's divine author, both, both authenticates it to us by an inward witness and opens our minds to understand its meaning. Being holy and verbally God-given, Scripture is without error or fault in all, it, in all its teaching, no less in what it states about God's action in creation, about the events of world history, about its own literary originals under God, than, than in its witness to God's saving grace to the, uh, to the individual lives. I hope you get that. If not, go and read the statement. Um, but there's this, this idea that God's word is utterly reliable in all it talks about God, about salvation, and about the world itself. It is without error. Now, I've been a pastor long enough to hear a few arguments against that particular list of things, right? Things like, if you look in one gospel, it says that Jesus sent out 72 disciples. In another gospel, it says that Jesus sent out 70 disciples. And people go like, aha, you see? Aha, there was a mistake. But it's not a mistake. If you ask me what time it is, I will say it's about half past 11. And you might quibble and go, that's not true, Ed. It's 11.33 and 12 seconds. Because what it says on the clock up there, right? Now, if I say it's about half, if I say it's half 11, you won't criticize me because it's actually 11.33, you go, oh, it's half 11, right? If I say it's 11.33, you go, oh, that's cool. Quite accurate for the time. And just because one gospel writer says it was 70, one says 72, it's the same thing, right? There was 70, about 70 went out. The guy's a bit more, oh, there was 72. But they're the same figure, just written in slightly different ways, as we would as human beings. The more detailed of you, 72 have to be accurate, right? Those of you a bit more flamboyant and easygoing, about 70. It's about 70, right? Because that's about right, right? It's, it's just the way we are. And in real life, we don't worry about it. How about this? If I say tomorrow that the sun rose, would any of you criticize me for my lack of scientific accuracy? I mean, really, would you? Would you go, oh my goodness, I can't believe. Obviously, the sun didn't rise because the earth is spinning. Actually, the earth moved enough so we can now see the, see the sun, right? In fact, if I did that, you'd all think I was nuts. Because we never just say the sun's risen, right? And yet, if you look at almost, well, if you look at every single argument against this kind of the 
accuracy of the Bible and think through, you go, no, no, it's actually, it's rock. Actually, some of the modern discoveries in, in, in archaeology have actually proved some of the things. That, the classic one is the kings in um, 1 Kings and in Chronicles, how their reigns, because if you, again, if you read the reigns, are slightly different in Kings and in Chronicles, but actually some kings reigned and overlapped and all that kind of stuff, very normal in those days, and some recorded some of the overlaps were in one king's list or in another king's list, and if you work it all out, it all works perfectly. And they discovered that in the last 20 or 30 years. But it is important that we... Um, believe the whole of the Bible. I don't know if any of you heard R.T. Kendall. R.T. Kendall, a famous biblical teacher a long time ago. I uh, actually got given this in 1999. So it's a little old. I've had it in my theology book all these years. And occasionally I bring it out. And R.T. Kendall says it's really important as Christians that we believe the whole lot. And it gives us four reasons, which I'm going to list quite quickly for you, right? He says it's really important we believe the whole lot because he says this, if there is any moral problems in Scripture, and then Scripture tells us to imitate God, Ephesians 5 verse 1, it means that we will, by default, accidentally do things that are wrong, i.e. it will contradict actually what he's trying to do, right? So that's my... Secondly, he says, he says if we don't believe that the Bible is infallible, we ask the question, well, can we trust God in anything? If I can't trust that, why should I trust that? If that's possibly wrong, well, that the bigger issues could be wrong as well. You know, if we can't trust it all, well, why should we trust any of it? And the third thing he says is this. He said, basically, if we don't trust the Bible, then we have to presume that our human minds, us or somebody else's, is more intelligent than God's. Because if God's make a mistake and we can find it, then we must be more intelligent than God. Well, that's got massive dangers, obviously. And then he goes on to say that if we only say, well, there's only minor issues wrong with the Bible, then he argues, why shouldn't some major details in doctrine be wrong as well? He says it's really important that we as Christians understand why Denying the infallibility or the, the error-freeness of Scripture is so important for us as Christians. And then, perhaps the most important question that we might ask is, okay, so how do we believe it? Okay, how do we actually believe it? How do we believe Scripture is true? And um, there's two ways. There's two ways. First one is what they call, what Artie Candle calls, what's called the object witness. The object witness, as we read, understand, and apply the Bible. So as we read the Bible, I've read some passages already about the Bible affirms that it's true by itself. It says it's true. Um, secondly, as archaeology, social sciences catch up, they actually end up proving that the Bible is true. I've actually just been reading an interesting book by a, a female um, feminist who's a psychologist trained in psychology, and she specializes in helping teenagers. 
been a fascinating book to read. She's not a Christian, don't believe in God, but uh, she goes through all these different things, all the modern sciences. She's got this bibliography at the back of the book, which is littered with surveys and all sorts of things that she has, has made mention of in her Bibles. And a conclusion at the end of it is fascinating. She said, I believe in liberalism, she says. No, no, I believe in liberalism, I believe in uh, feminism, but, she said, do you know, the best place for children, for us, the best place for women is in marriages. One man, one woman, the last, a lifetime. Nothing better. She said, of all the research I've done, every outcome you look at, everything. And she said, I'm not Christian, but <laughs> this is the best way that mankind's found anywhere across the world, throughout all the known history, there's the best way to raise children, create great families and communities. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that amazing? It really is. So um, the confirmation of archaeology and other things, the testimony about people who've experienced God in Scripture and through Scripture and in their lives. You know, I can stand up, hand on heart, and say I've been trying to follow the Bible for over 30 years, and it works. Because I'm nosy, <laughs> I've studied other people who haven't or have broken it and seen that their lives don't work anything as well. They really don't. And then in this object witness, you know, just deducing things that this word, this Bible works. But as R.T. Kendall says, and we all would have testified to, object witnessing, the witness of kind of logic, isn't enough in itself. You know, because people don't want to. The sinful nature in every one of us, don't, don't, let's not blame it, every one of us wants to be our own boss, wants to make our own decisions, right? And therefore, if the Bible's true or truer than us, truer than our thoughts, it means that we have to be subservient to it. And so there needs to be more. In the end, we believe it's true. So as God's Spirit lives inside us and says it is true. And the interaction between us and God and the Holy Spirit in us and the Holy Spirit working through the words of Scripture is the ultimate and the thing that will really help you. And I just want to say, if you're a Christian and you struggle with the authority of the Bible, don't worry about it. But do find a friend, a pastor, a connect group leader, somebody who can help you process it and help you come to a place where the Spirit's witness inside your soul will line up with what Scripture says about itself, which is truth, and it's without fault and without error. It is important that we believe it's true. So, in conclusion, I hope you've enjoyed the notes. Lots of information this morning. In conclusion, a few final thoughts. Remember, church, that the world is lost and broken. People are looking for authorities that they can trust. They really are. Be it and they, they hope they can trust the authorities that are there, be it politicians, armies, people that they follow, healthcare leaders, teachers, government. But as we realize, they're all flawed. And they need to hear from us as church, as God's followers, there is an authority that will not let you down, that will help you live the life you want to live will help you raise your children, will help create a great community. We're not kidding. God really wants to do all those things and help you do that. And he really will help you. You see, people are looking for direction. People want to know that things will get better, not worse. 
People want to know that they have a purpose for their life, that they can be confident in how they live and what they're living for. And the Bible, the truth in the Bible will set them free. It will set them free. We can be confident, right? If we explain the Bible, if we teach them, even the, the, the moral codes, it will help them live a life that works. You see, God says he needs to be glorified first. John 12, verse 28, Jesus is thinking about the cross. He says, God, I'm going to go to the cross. Why? Because it glorifies you, and I want to glorify. This was Jesus' first time to glorify God. You see, glorifying God doesn't restrict us. It sets us free because God is the one. Because he loves the world, John 3, 16. God so loved the world. He loves the world. He has a plan for the world that they may come back to him and receive that hope and life again. He's concerned about our families, about our communities, about our church, and he's concerned about the individual. And therefore, we can be confident as we talk about the Bible. But church, the crooks, the end. If we're going to believe that this is the authority, the inerrant word of God, without fault, without flaw, it means we will come into conflict with other people. And uh, the Bible talks about it often, about the conflict that we'll have as Christians as we stand up for who God is and what he believes in. But I want you to know that, yes, we need to be tolerant to people, but don't let our tolerance, as it were, stop people hearing the truth. Okay? We're not looking for arguments, but neither are, as it were, not going to help people, okay? Loving somebody is not just about not causing conflict. Every parent in the planet knows this, right? We love people enough sometimes to have conflict with them about certain things. And we don't do it because we want to offend or hurt. We do it because we long to help them receive all that God has for them. And as we go through these messages Guys here, the guys in Lancaster, we're going to touch on some things that might sound intolerant. They're not. We are the most loving things that we can think about and help other people understand both for themselves, but actually, more importantly, for their families and for their communities that they live in. You see, God doesn't just think about now. He thinks about the next generation. thinks about 100, 200 years' time, about what's good for us, us as a whole, not just as in my needs and my wants. That's the track to ruin and destruction. The Bible's true. The Bible's full of love. But guys, it's also full of truth. It sets people free, which isn't always easy to hear or to understand. But let's get to it personally in our understanding of Scripture, but also in our conversations. Let's, let's chat to people as gently as we can to challenge them when they don't believe it. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that through countless authors, you wrote it. Your Holy Spirit wrote it through them. So in all the things that it talks about, in the context that it's talking it in, it teaches us truth and life and hope and eternity. And Father, help us, each one of us. And if there's any who can hear this prayer, who is struggling, Father, help us to have that Holy Spirit witness inside our souls and our hearts and our minds that it's just true. And we apply our mind and apply our thinking as we read it with that 
basic principle that this knows what it's talking about and we need to, as it were, bring our mind into line with it, not the other way around. And Father, I pray this morning particularly, help us to know that this will set people free. Free. Free from sin and shame and guilt. Set people free from emotional ills. It will give them hope and life and eternity. Father, for those who will follow it, for them and their families, they will be blessed. And as Psalm 1 says, Father, prosperity will follow. Not because we're doing anything but being obedient to you and honoring you and putting you first in the life and your word first. So Father, help us to believe this, to live in it and help others to do the same because we love them, God. Not because we've been intolerant, not because we want them to fail, not because we want to hurt them, but God, because we love them. We want the best for them because, God, you want the best for them as well. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.